You are listening to the East Point Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church that exists to glorify God as a gospel community that is growing in faith and reaching the world. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. Are you guys awake? Are y'all ready? Man, we have been going on a journey. We have been going on a journey through the book of Philippians. And so if you haven't been here, I will recap for you that last week we were introduced to the table. Do you guys remember the table? It wasn't the lunch table. It wasn't the dinner table. This table was a metaphor. This was the table that represented the family of God. And so we, re- we learned, right, that when God saves us, he's not creating a little collection of individuals, right? Little individual trophies on his shelf. No, when he saves people, he, similar to the way that you have a baby into a family, he brings us into a family. And so I have three little boys, right? When, when those were born, when those boys were born in the hospital, we didn't go like this. We didn't say, oh, he's so cute. And we walk him to the front of the hospital, And those hospital doors slide open, and we put them on the curb, and we say, go get him, tiger. And we drove home, and we left that dude on the side. No, right? Babies are born into families. And in the same way, Christians, followers of Jesus, when he saves them, he brings us into a family. And so we're sitting at this table. We're sitting with other people in our circle that the most important thing in their life is also the most important thing in our life. We want to grow in faith, and we want to reach the world. And so this week, we are going to see that Paul, his love for the people at that table, his affection, his love, his genuine care and concern is so deep that it overflows. We're going to see a little bit of a reflux and a reflex, right? His love is so strong that it overflows into a prayer. And this morning, he busts out in prayer for the people at his table. So we know prayer is important, right? You're a Christian. You're supposed to. You go to church. You read the Bible. You pray, right? We know prayer is important, but like, how do you pray? (laughs) You ever just not have the words to say? You're like, I, uh, you know, what if I get it wrong? Is there a magic word? Is there a certain formula? Like, how do I end my my prayer email? You know, like, what's how do you pray? What is it about? And so we know that prayer is simply pouring out your heart to God. It's just talking. It's talking to God, transparently telling him where you are at. And so this morning, Paul is going to tell God where he's at. Paul is going to just pour out his heart to God on behalf of his brothers and sisters at the table. And the prayer that he prays is powerful. The prayer that results, the prayer that he captures in the sacred scriptures is so powerful that I want us to take this prayer and I want us to make it our own. I want us to take his prayer and I want us to pray it with him almost as a pattern so that we know how we can pray. Friends, this is a three-part prayer. And so before we get into it though, all right, we, we need to realize, yes, this letter is written by Paul. This is Paul's prayer, yes. But who inspired this? Who who moved the biblical authors to write these prayers? And so yes, they're Paul's prayers, but friends, what I want you to realize, this is actually God's prayer. 
This is God's desire. This is God's will for you. The New Testament tells us that Jesus, do you know what Jesus is doing right now, right now at 1034 Eastern Standard Time? Do you know what he does at 1034 every day? He sits at the right hand of the Father and intercedes for you. Oh, it's 1035 now. Do you know what he he just moved on to do? Now he's interceding for you. He's praying for you. Jesus is mentioning you by name to God the Father. And I want to know, how does he pray for us? Well, just open the book. And so we see that these biblical prayers, these are actually God's will, God's desire. Jesus is praying and he's inspired these prayers by his spirit. And so I have the utmost confidence that when we pray this three-part prayer, we're praying God's will. I have the utmost confidence that this prayer, that we are not begging with trepidation, our Father, would you please, 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 we're not begging. God loves to answer this prayer. And he loves to do his will in response to the prayers of his people. And so as we pray Paul's prayer, remember, we're praying God's heart. And so we're going to pray this for ourselves. We need this. We're going to pray this three-part prayer for our friends, for our brothers and our sisters and our spouses and our children. We're going to pray this for East Point Church because God loves to answer this prayer. And so are you ready to pray with me this morning? We are going to pray our way through the scripture, and it begins right here in verse 9 of chapter 1. Let's dive in. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is God's word for East Point Church this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, that you're praying for us. Thank you, Father, that we are your children, that you look after us. And so we come before you this morning wanting to be changed by these verses, wanting to not just be informed, but transformed, God. And so teach us to pray. And then would you do these these prayers, Lord, answer them to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so here's what we're going to do. Let's go back to the beginning, and let's look at each of the three parts of his prayer. It starts in the first part here. He says... It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. His first prayer, he's saying, God, would you give us increasing love? Would you give us increasing love? He starts off talking about love. And how many of you out there, you love love, right? We love love. Countless books. TV shows, movies, songs. We have been trying for centuries as a people to answer the question, what is love? What is love? I don't know. So I've done some research and I found out some people talk about love. It's something you fall into. Watch out. Sounds dangerous. It's something you can fall out of. I don't see you better buckle up. That doesn't sound very safe. I saw one quote where a man was wondering, what is love? Oh, baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. No more. Whoa, whoa, oh. Whoa, whoa, oh. End quote. Sounds scary. Sometimes it happens at first sight, right? Like you don't find love. Love finds you. Bam! 
Watch your back, guys. Love is out there. I don't know. I've looked on Instagram and I saw some people, they say they love their children. And in the very next moment, they say they love chocolate chip cookies. And we're just confused and we're left wondering, what's love got to do, got to do with it? <laughs> Friends, we are confused about the nature of love. We don't even know how to define it, so we have resorted to spelling it. L is for the way you look at me. I don't know the rest of the words, but friends, love is a confusing topic. There are different types of love. We are diff- there are different types of answers. So when we turn into the Bible and it's praying for something as abstract as love, we're going, what does that even mean? And so what we do is we read these individual words and these verses, we read them in context. We read them and define them based on how they define themselves. And we see this, in the New Testament, when it's telling us to love one another, it's not describing this feeling that we just can't control. Love in the Bible is action. Love in the Bible is a self-sacrificial, others-oriented commitment. I can say it this way, love, it's a willingness to inconvenience yourself for the well-being of another. When was the last time we've inconvenienced ourselves willingly, not begrudgingly? My favorite part of 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, he says, love does not insist on its own way. That's love. And we know, right, we know that this is the kind of love that should characterize the table because look at the kind of love the table leader has, right? Like, let's look to the head of the table, and here's the leader, Jesus, the head of our table, and he's given us his example. He has already set the tone with his demonstration of what love should be. He so loved the world that he gave. Jesus doesn't just have warm, fuzzy feelings about you. He has, he has selflessly acted on your behalf. And then he tells you, go in love in the same way. Look what he says here, John 13, 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, just as that, you also are to love one another. We all know John 3, 16. What about 1 John 3, 16? Look what he says. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Jesus loved us, not enough to give us something. He gave us a little something. No, no. He gave us everything. And so God's love, his self-sacrificial action toward us on the cross, that informs how we love each other. He says, I'm praying that they would be a loving people. And so, again, we're on a journey. We're going to get going through the book. You guys are going to get to know really well the Philippians. And I think you're going to like them. They're a fantastic lot. And you're going to realize that they are super loving. Okay? So he's not praying this because they're not loving. He's not praying this because they are failing in love. No, no. He is writing this because he wants their love that already exists. He wants it to abound. He doesn't just want a modicum of love, not just a hint. He wants this self-sacrificial, others-oriented love to exist in overflowing measure at our table. You see, it's not enough to just get like a little, little scent of love, right? Do you smell that? 
Am I, am I picking up some love there? He says, no, not a scent. He says, I want the aroma of love to be so pervasive and so potent that it overwhelms your senses and it makes your eyes water. Like you just walked into Bath and Body Works in the mall. You know? You just walk in, boof, warm vanilla sugar all up in here. And you smell it for like three weeks after that. You know what I mean? He says, I want the aroma of love in your midst. I don't want it to be a, do you smell something? He says, I want it to be a, eyes watering, can you smell anything else? And then just when you think you can't be more loving, just when you think this abounding, overflowing love can't possibly increase, he says, I want it to be more, and then more, and then more, and then more, and then more, abounding and ever-increasing. You see, love is not a, it's not a, a status that we achieve. It's a trajectory that will never leave. More loving, more loving. All right, I'm more loving. Good, more, more. Increase in this outward, others, self-sacrificial, action-oriented love. And Paul is praying this because he knows that the Holy Spirit in our midst can produce that kind of love. And so he is praying, God, give us increasing love. Friends, will you pray that with me this week? Will you pray for yourself? Will you pray for our church? May we be a place where we love. May we be a people that is loving. May we as individual people, may we be so startled and overwhelmed by the aroma of his love for us that we can't help but move out and love other people. I want that. Do you want that? I want that for myself. I need a little bit of love doesn't insist on his own way. And so we pray, God, give us increasing love. Let's look at the second prayer. He wants, he wants something to be added to increasing love. So he says this. He says, with, with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve of what is excellent. And so, yes, Lord, would you make us a loving people? Give us increasing love. But, Lord, would you also give us wise discernment? Would you also give us wise discernment? Friends, discernment is the ability to discriminate, to distinguish between good and evil. Right? Discernment is the capacity to, to tell the difference between things that are excellent and quality and things that are morally bankrupt. And so I'll tell you a story. I have a friend who lived in Seattle, and she worked for Costco. Any Costco fans? Will anybody join me and sign a petition to bring a Costco to the Eastern Shore? Yeah, here, here, yeah! That was the loudest you've been all morning. Dude, because you, know, you want some cheese and pep Costco pizza. I know, I know. But I had a friend, she worked in Seattle, she worked in Kirkland, and her and her coworkers were responsible for grading food. Like great, so poultry, things like that. There are people whose job is to grade eggs. Double A, it's the best. Woo, you got a double A egg? Better keep that in the fridge. Single A, okay. And then you get a B. See, some of you have been buying eggs. You were like, oh, it's a B. That's not bad. I had B's all through school. No, 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 no. Oh, not that. It's a B. You stay away from the B's, all right? And so there are people, their job, they have been trained to discern the quality of eggs. They have been trained and to be perceptive 
as to the details that distinguish the most excellent, the most fresh, the most perfect eggs, and then the eggs that are inferior, defected, should be tossed away. Mama Chicken, she did her best, all right? No judgment, Mama, but that was a B egg. We're going to pass on that, okay? Here's the thing, my friend, she wasn't hired because she was born with this deep, intuitive instinct about eggs. You know, they didn't like say in the job description, must know the difference between good and bad. No, no, no. This was not an intuitive ability to distinguish. She was trained. She was literally given the knowledge so that when that moment came, as the egg was coming across the conveyor belt, she would have the knowledge and the ability to stamp her approval. That little USDA shield, she would go, boom, that's a good one. And those that weren't, pass, okay? She had discernment. She had knowledge. And so Paul is saying, in the same way, I'm praying that you, not for eggs, but that you would have knowledge. You would be filled with a capacity to understand the difference, not between good eggs and bad eggs. I don't care about eggs. He says, I want you to have the ability to distinguish between things that are excellent and things that are not. So that when that moment comes, you will be able to, with a high degree of certainty and consistency, stamp your approval. And you say, this is good, and this is inferior. And so I will pass on it. You see, friends, there's going to be, just like eggs on a conveyor belt, there are going to be things brought along the conveyor belt of your life. Right? I'm not just talking about eggs. You're going to go home from here. You're going to turn on the game at 3 o'clock. Let's go. And you're going to have an advertisement asking you, you should watch this TV show. You're going to be presented with a new TV show today. You're going to go to work tomorrow, and you're going to be brought into a conversation. Hey, did you hear about such and such? I really want you to know about this. You're going to be invited to go to a place next weekend, right? Right now, Facebook and Instagram are working their algorithms to promote a new app to you and a new book. And then you're going to get on your phone and there's a new pop-up with a new headline and there's some clickbait and they're begging for your attention. And hey, did you meet such and such? There's some new people I want you to meet and make their acquaintance. And then you're going to get into situations. Countless, endless opportunity after opportunity to do anything and everything. And what Paul is praying is that in that moment, when the conveyor belt of life brings these things across your path, do you have the ability to discern between the good ideas and the bad ideas? Friend, do you have the knowledge? Do you have the discernment to distinguish between things that are godly, commendable, worthy of your time, worthy of your reflection and your meditation, and things that are morally bankrupt, inferior, not the ways of God, but the ways of this world. Lord, would you give us wise discernment? Help us, Lord, with a high degree of consistency. Help us discern. Give us the knowledge to tell the difference between things that will help us grow in our faith and reach the world and things that won't. See, when I was a teenager, my mom, she used to joke that I was going to be a lawyer one day, right? And I'm not a lawyer, but I could have been. Because here was my question, okay? Whenever we were having conversations about, you know, things that are moral and God, and all these things, you know what my, my go-to question was? You know how I stumped the jury every single time? Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, my final concluding ace up the sleeve was, but is it a sin? Boom. 
My defendants were acquitted. Alas, I admit it. Was it a sin? You see, what I was looking for was like, but where does it say, where does it say I can't do this? Where does it say, am I still allowed to do this and go to heaven? That was like my, was, am I still, can I still do this and go to heaven? Is God still not going to love me? You know, and I just, my mom was like, you need to go to law school. And then she walked out because she said, I'm not paying for it. All right. You see, friends, what we are doing in our walk, why are we asking, but is it a sin? I'll never forget, right? My mom, she just, she just walked. She was like, I can't deal with you, right? But I'll never forget, I came across this video in college by one of my favorite pastors named John Piper, okay? And in this video, he was talking about that very question, is it a sin? And he says, but that's the wrong question. If you watch the video, you'll know I'm doing a killer impersonation right now. And he goes, but that's the wrong question. The question is, but does it help you run, you know? He's not Scottish, but that's how I hear it, you know? And it's like, but does it help you run, you think of the Olympians in the ancient days, right? They didn't go up to the starting line going, am I allowed to wear my steel-toe boots for this 100-meter dash? Where does it say I can't wear my steel-toe boots for my 100-meter dash? Friends, they would run naked. They were taking away everything in their life that would hinder them in the slightest because they say, does it help me run? And so what we're praying for here is, God, give us discernment. Not to go, where's the line? God says, I'm not worried about the line. I'm worried about you running and growing in faith and reaching the world. And so, God, give us wise discernment so that we can avoid things that are unhelpful. So that we can regularly stamp our approval on things that are excellent. So here I am preaching to you on a Sunday morning, right? But the reality is, the nature of preaching is that God is preaching this message to me all week long. And so I want to tell you, right, I had COVID over Christmas, and I missed our Christmas Eve gathering, and I'm just like the back cramps. I was laid up in bed. Like, I, I didn't do anything, you know. I'm like, what do I do? And I'm sitting there, and I can't get comfortable. And so I say, you know what? I'm going to be a normal person. I'll just do whatever it is. I'm going to take out my phone. I'm going to watch a movie in bed. I'm going to watch television. And so I go to Netflix. And I'm scrolling. What is it? And I end up watching this show. I watched two seasons in three days. I mean, it was just, you feel gross afterwards, you know? And, and in the moments, I'm going, this is just harmless entertainment. You know, like, hey, everybody does this. I've heard this recommended. It's normal, you know? And I was just, you know, working on this message this week, and it was like the Lord was just whispering to me, and he brought back that moment. And I'm trying to shoo it away. Like, no, it's harmless. Come on, I'm good. You know what I mean? I'm fine. And he brought back that moment, and it's as if he was reminding me that in that moment, when the moment came, I consumed something. I stamped my approval on something. And I said, yeah, yeah, this is excellent. This is worthy of my time. This is okay. And friends, it wasn't. It wasn't good. It was trash. But does it help you run? No, it made me fat. <laughs> Metaphorically speaking. And so I've been praying all week in light of that moment. I just repented. I said, God, I'm sorry. And I've said, Lord, please Give me discernment. Increase my knowledge as to the nature of ultimate reality. And friends, here's the good news I want to share with you, right? Because I know I'm not the only one, and we all need wise discernment. Here's the good news. Our Heavenly Father is so full of grace. Here's the good news. When I bring my basket filled of rancid eggs and mislabeled decisions and failed discernment, when I bring that basket full and I just dump it in his lap, he moves toward me in compassion and forgiveness and grace. And he says, come with me and I will teach you what is excellent. 
Come with me and I'll increase your discernment. Come with me and I will make you wise as to the nature of life. And so, Father, give us increasing love. Give us wise discernment. And then look at the last prayer he says. He says, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Here's, the, here's how the final prayer comes from the second. If we string together day after day wise discernment, if we start living a lifetime, a lifestyle of knowledge and discernment, of good decision after good decision, of wise discerning after wise discerning, the reality is that eventually we are going to find that we are living, we are walking in increasing fashion on the, on the path that is marked pure and blameless. That we are going to be living with greater and greater intensity and frequency and consistency, a life that is above reproach. Let me put it another way. We are going to look and live more and more just like Jesus Christ. And so God, give us wise discernment so that you can produce in us Christ-like purity. Christ-like purity. Friends, this is core to our faith. The word purity, I, I almost hesitated to even use it because if you grew up as a teenager in the evangelical movement of the 90s, like purity can almost be a trigger word, right? You got to live pure. You got to do things right. You got to save yourself from it. And if you didn't, now you're impure and you have failed. Man, and just the scarlet letter. But I guess God can forgive you. Oh, man. None of us are pure. None of us are pure. Purity does not speak to your self-discipline and your rap sheet of good decisions. Purity is what Jesus has already declared you to be because he died on the cross for you. You are pure, okay? And so when he says uh, pure and blameless, he's not saying if you do good, God will approve. No, no, he's saying you are made pure, but now I want you to increase in godly living. I want to see you living more and more like Jesus. We are pursuing Christ-likeness. We are being made more and more into the thing that he's already declared us to be. And so we keep pure because he says pure. And we stick to the scripture. Pure and blameless. This is so important. If we were to look at the whiteboard in God's divine locker room and we see, we get a little glimpse of his master strategy Save them and make them like Jesus. That's core. That's what the journey of life is all about, friends. That's what the journey of Christianity is all about, that he has saved us and he's making us more like the perfect human, hello, which we were intended to be like from the beginning. See, right now, y'all all look like your daddy, Adam. <laughs> like father, like son. <laughs> yeah, the sinner. And what God is doing, he's making us look like the new Adam. He's making us into the new man, a new humanity. Humanity 2.0, if you will. And he's recreating us to look like humanity was designed to be in the beginning. And so as we follow God, he's making us more and more like Jesus. And so we are passionate about this. Do you know why? Why are we passionate to live pure and blameless lives? Because the day of Christ is coming. It's the second week in a row that Paul mentions the day of Christ. This is important. He wants us to never forget Jesus is coming back. And on that day, we want to greet him. On that day, we want to meet him as a pure and a blameless people. 
That's the goal. And so we are spending our entire life growing and increasing in Christ-like purity. Think about a a young bride-to-be, a fiancé, okay? And this fiancé, there's not a day that goes by where she's not consumed with preparations for the wedding, right? There's not a day that goes by that she's not basking in and counting down the days to the day that is coming where she will be united with her groom. And in the same way, friends, you and me are to be living every day aware of the fact that our Savior is coming back for us. Not a day should go by where we don't remember, I need to be getting ready. He's coming any minute now. And we want to run and greet him in a way that is worthy of this Savior, a pure, blameless life. That's the goal. That can be daunting, huh? Grow in Christ-like purity. We're talking about growth, increase in your holiness, getting ready for his return, holy, blameless, and above reproach. Mama Mia, at this rate, I'm going to need three lifetimes to be ready, you know? And it can be daunting to think about this increasing righteousness, growing in holiness, increasing purity, and we just, that can be a tall order. But here's what I want to remind you of, church. Nowhere in these verses this morning do we see a command This is not a command. This is not a checklist. This is not an order for you to accomplish. And hey, you have just, I don't know how much longer before he comes back. Friends, what are we reading this morning? This is a three-part prayer. This is a prayer, which means that the readiness, the increasing purity, the blamelessness, this does not rest entirely on our own abilities. If this was simply a three-part checklist, if this was a three-part objectives, if this were a list of deliverables that need to be completed, I would be in rough shape. You would be in rough shape, right? But it's not that. We are asking God for this. This is the very thing that he tells us in John 14 through 16. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You cannot increase in love. You cannot increase your discernment. You cannot on your own grow in Christ-like purity. And so that's why we are running to him on our knees in desperation saying, God, give us these things. This is a prayer. That's why when he talks about our righteousness, look what he calls it. He calls it fruit. Fruit. What's fruit? Think about, like, what is fruit? You go out to the grove, and you see a tree, and you see apples on the tree, and you realize, ooh, that is evidence that the tree is alive. Fruit is evidence of life. Like, the tree is not sitting out there going, all right, today's Monday, time for an apple. Poof. Got it, right? It's Tuesday. Poof. He's not, like, making. He's not working hard. He's not trying to pop out fruit from a to-do list. He's simply alive, and so he yields his fruit. It's it's alive. And and so it has fruit. What else would it do? What else would it do? And so the New Testament, it's using the metaphor of fruit because fruit is evidence of life. Fruit is used to describe our growth in righteous living because our righteous living is not a to-do list. 
It's not a self-improvement plan. Jesus puts his spirit inside of us. When we come to God and we say, I'm not here for dead religion. I'm not here to do a, you know, check it once a week. God, I'm here because I want you and I want you to save me. When he saves you, he puts the Holy Spirit inside of you and he does surgery. And so you're dead hard, blackened heart that is cold toward the things of God, he actually takes that out and he gives you a new, living, flesh, warm heart. You're made alive. And then the most natural thing happens. Because you're now alive, you see fruit. You see evidence. Our growth is from God's Spirit. We are alive, and so we will see fruit. That's why it's called the fruit of the Spirit, because the Spirit makes us alive, and we see his evidence. This comes from him. Friends, this comes through Jesus Christ. Our growth is from God. It's fruit, which is why we pray and ask for it. Now listen, we have a role in our sanctification. We're going to get there. We're going through every last word, 104 verses of the book of Philippians. We're going to get there. But this morning, what we want you to know, friends, is that our growth is from God. We must ask him every day to fill us with the fruit of his righteousness. We must ask him every day to restore the dead parts of us and make them alive, to fill us with an overflowing evidence of his pervading presence in our lives. This overflowing purity an increasing blamelessness. Do you want to grow in Christ-like purity? Ask him. Do you want to grow and see evidence of transformation? Be encouraged. Friends, be encouraged. I know what happened this past week. I know. I know what happened this morning over here. I know, but be encouraged anyway because the Spirit is working on it. It comes through Jesus Christ. And so what's the result? What is the result if we are a community, if you are a people that is increasing in love, increasing in wise discernment, and growing in Christ-like purity? Do you know what the result is going to be? Here's the result. To the glory and praise of God. All of this work from the Spirit of Christ in our lives, these are going to result in God getting some attention. Because, friends, our growth results in God's glory. Your growth, it results in God's glory. When you grow, right, all of that evidence, all of that new life, all of that transformation is a testament to the one who transforms. And so imagine this. If you would have come to my apartment before I got married, single bachelor, pre-married Sam, okay, you would have gone, oh, okay. Pile of shoes by the door, smelling the Chinese food from last week. You can see my artistic sculpture made out of dirty laundry on the floor, three and a half stories tall. You know what I mean? Like you would have just gone, okay, this is who Sam is. But then you come back after September 12th, 2012, and now I'm married. And you walk in, and you're not overwhelmed with the aroma of leftover pizza. You go, am I smelling warm chocolate chip cookies? Right? And, there's no, and you can see the floor, and you're like, has the floor always been here? And you go upstairs and there's this like magical receptacle that you put dirty clothes in. And there's just art on the wall, right? You know, you're not going to look at my apartment and go, Sam, you've really turned a corner. Man, you have really pulled yourself together. You know, no, 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 no. Somebody moved in. What's her name? Right? There is evidence 
that life is now existing here. There's a new life, and I see his evidence everywhere. Friends, when your friends, when your spouse, when your children, when your neighbors, when they see the transformation, when they see the fruit in your life, they're going to go, oh, I know you. This ain't you. I know how you talk. I know how kind you naturally are. I know how, lack, how much you lack empathy. I know how much you insist on your own way. I know how impatient you are. I know how angry you get. This ain't you. And so it means that there's evidence of, a, of the one who transforms. You see, friends, here at East Point, we are passionate. We want God's glory. We want his, the panorama of his attributes, his goodness, his mercy, his compassion. We want all of those things, his approachability. We want them to get the face time, the recognition, the glory that they deserve on the shore. We want the eastern shore to see God for who he is and not just presume on their little views of God that are not even worthy of the real thing. We want people to see God. Therefore, we are passionate about our growth and transformation. We are passionate about growing in Christ-like purity, not because we want the pastor to like us. Well, I really want to grow. I'm really intense about growing so that I can be a good example for my children. Okay? I really want to grow. I'm going to be really strict about growing because I want my neighbors to like me. Man, I'm really going to grow. I'm really going to focus on changing because I want to be accepted at the Christian club. No, no, no. I'm really going to focus on growth because then God will like me. No, no, no. I'm going to take this thing so seriously. I'm going to read it through in one big year. I'm going to go so hard in the paint because I just want to be better. Friends, we are passionate about our purity, but you got to understand our motives. We are passionate about growth. We are passionate about increasing in love. We are passionate about growing in our discernment. We are passionate about Christ-like purity, not out of some legalistic posture that says God will like me more. No, because I know that when I'm transformed, he gets the glory. When I'm transformed, all eyes go not to how good of a guy I am. They go, whoa, he must be supernatural because I know you, Sam, and that ain't you. We pursue growth because we know that our growth results in God's glory. May the transformer, the creator and the transformer, the restorer, the redeemer, the reviver, the rehabilitator of our dead hearts, the resurrector, the redeemer, may he get glory. May all attention be drawn to him and may they be in awe of the one who transforms because our growth results in God's glory. And so here's how I would like you to respond. Uh, grab your pencils. Would you mind for a moment? Grab your pencils. Grab a pen. Open up your notes. And we've put a section there for you. And here's my question. I want you to answer this question. Which of these three prayers do you need the most? Which of these three prayers do you say, God, amen, so be it. Yes, ditto, echo, I want that one. Which of these three prayers do you need the most right now? And I want you to write it down. And maybe you even just take a moment, flesh it out. Maybe write one or two sentences in addition to those prayers. But I want you to think, what is your prayer? What do you need most? Let's pray and let's ask him. Because it's fruit. And our growth results in God's glory. Let's pray.
Father, I pray that you would give us increasing love, that the love in this community would reflect the overwhelming, unconditional, startling love of God that you have poured out on us. May we see the love from one another and conclude how deep the Father's love for us. Give us increasing love. Father, I also pray that you would give us wise discernment, that you would fill us with knowledge, that the word of God would dwell in us richly, that your instructions, your law would be written on our hearts so that when the moment comes, we can exercise the discernment, the distinguishing between good and evil. And then Lord, I pray for Christ-like purity. Make us a place that is free of sin. Grow us, Lord. Increase us. We know we can't do this on our own. We know, Lord, that we will never be perfect. Father, we will never in our own power be over it or grow out of it like it's a fad. Father, our hearts are crippled by our condition. And so we ask you daily, make us more like Jesus. We know that you have freed us. We are no longer slaves to sin. We want to be slaves to righteousness. We want to be passionate, committed, following righteous living. So would you do that, Lord? And may all of this transformation result in your glory. May people see you for how good you are. May they put their hope in you as redeemer, as transformer, as restorer. May they see that you are God in your compassion and mercy, that you love to move toward sinners, not to run away from them. Help the shore to realize, Lord, that you know them better than they wish that you knew them because you know everything, discerning even their thoughts in their heart. And yet you love them more than they could have ever hoped for. You see it and you don't run away, God. You move toward us. So may your glory be spread in this community and the world. In Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. We want to thank you again for joining us for this week's sermon podcast. My name is Daniel, and I'm the music and creative pastor here at East Point Church. And if you were challenged, encouraged, or impacted in any way by this week's sermon, we would love to hear about it. It's your stories that encourage us and what we do, and we just want to celebrate what God is doing in your life. So you can go ahead and share with us at podcast at epeaston.com. Also, make sure that you subscribe to our channel to stay up to date with the latest sermons. Have a great week.